Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest was born with cerebral palsy. It was so severe that the doctors informed his mum that he'd never be able to walk. His mum's determination and unwillingness to take this diagnosis, along with his tenacity, meant that he learned to walk. Today, he's a mindset coach and helps others rewrite their dreams. Episode 34, Paul Fortune. Welcome to One Moment, Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Opened um, up a can of worms, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so. So your story starts when you were very young and you got diagnosed with cerebral palsy. What what is cerebral palsy? What is that diagnosis? What does it mean? So it happens at birth. It's lack of oxygen okay. to the brain. So it's right oh. right when you right when you're born and and as a result of the lack of oxygen to the brain, it can leave one side of the body paralyzed and it's permanent. It could affect your 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 speech, your your physical movements of your arms and legs. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I thought it was a genetic issue. Mm-mm, it's not. No. Okay, so it's lack of oxygen. So right off the bat, your mum got told that diagnosis then? Yeah, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. Mm -hmm. So she got testing done, and that's when I was diagnosed that I had cerebral palsy. So how old were you when when that testing was done? Three or four months old. Right, so really, really young. So what is that? um, And I'm going to age you here. How how long ago was that? (laughs) What decade uh, I was are we in? in 1980, so uh, 40 years ago. Okay, so so in the 80s. So yeah, medicine's not what it it is now. I sub- yeah. I don't know whether or not there's probably been leaps and bounds. Probably not in the in the um in that process in the medicine. But what does that diagnosis mean to your mum? Because she's a couple. You're a couple of months old. What does that then look like for her having this baby? Were you her first? Well, well, thank goodness uh, that she is a tremendous woman because she didn't get that. She just didn't go without diagnosis and just give up. Yeah. Um, because I was told that I would never be able to walk. I, t- I was told that I, I was going to be wheelchair bound. That was going to be my that was going to be my future. Um, but she got other opinions mm. and found a physician that was willing to help help me. And with this physician's help, I was able to defy the doctor's order. And I was able to walk at age three. So what, so were you taught, okay, so age three. So you weren't aware of that diagnosis? I was not, no, no, no. And not at that age, no, no, I was not. I was just, I was just, uh, I was just doing (laughs) what I was told to do. (laughs) Hanging onto your bottle and hanging out on the floor. Yeah. Okay. So, so, I mean, that's great that your mum got the other diagnosis. So how does the lack of oxygen happen? Is it through the birth canal? Is that what? Yeah, it's through the birth canal. There's just not. I'm not. I'm not being able to breathe for whatever reason. And yeah, it's got to be through the birth canal. I, I something yeah. must have happened there. Big head. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Big head. Yeah, exactly. I had a big head. Darn it. <laughs> Messed me up. <laughs> so, what did the um the re? I, and because I thought it was a genetic situ, like a genetic diagnosis, I thought that everybody with C- um, CP had 
a similar sort of prognosis. But if it's a, a lack of oxygen, then everybody's situation would be unique. Correct. There's different have... severities of cerebral palsy. Yeah. Um, thank goodness. It seems like now looking at it, I have a, a more of a mild case than some other people because I've done some studies with people with cerebral palsy and some of them can't even barely speak and, and are in a wheelchair and that can't really move very much. Mm. What was the, for your mom, were you her first child? I, I'm our only child. So yeah. Okay. That was first, so... last. <laughs> <laughs> you're it yeah. um so what did that look like in terms of teaching you to walk compared to a normal infant well at, at that age i really don't remember much but i do remember a little bit later after that like four like five or six she um, never told you she never had the conversation with you saying i had to teach you this way oh i mean yeah i mean i mean i was in i mean i would say six days a week i was doing physical therapy with okay. the physician and with the nurses and everything like that. So yeah, it was, it was an intense thing. Um, like I said, I don't really remember it, but yeah, I was, I was, I was on a regiment every single day, uh, maybe yeah. one day a week rest, but every single day I was doing something, some sort of movement to the right side of my body to strengthen it, to, to give me enough strength to be able to walk. Um, I don't remember that part of it, but I do remember being five or six, uh, years old uh, playing, I guess you would call it football. We call it soccer. And I was only able no, to No, no, run... we're soccer in Australia. Oh, you're soccer? Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, all right, cool. All right, soccer. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was only able to run 25 to 50 yards, and these other kids are running laps around the soccer field, and I, I, I'm I, barely – I'm just standing there basically. Yeah. And I remember going to my mom going, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I'm just standing here. I'm making a fool out of myself. And I remember my mom telling me that, it's fine if you don't want to play soccer anymore, but you have to honor your commitments. You have to finish out the soccer season. And if you don't want to play soccer after that, that's fine. I'm 40. I've never played soccer since after that season. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the reality of going to primary school and having this as a, would you classify it as a disability or this different, I'm assuming that your gait's different in the way that you walk. Yeah. So yeah, how did so that play out? Yeah, so I walk with a little bit of a limp. I, yeah. I hold my right arm differently. Um, I had surgery around seven years old to tighten up the tendon in my right foot and gave me a little bit more spring in my step. And it was pretty much of a game changer for me mm -hmm. because I remember switching schools around that time. And mm -hmm. I remember my first day of PE and physical education. And the teacher goes, uh, uh, you know, we do our stretches and the teacher says, okay, run a lap. And I'm like, here we go again. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. And these kids are going to start to uh, stop and they're going to start to tease me because that's all I can do. But because of the surgery was different, I was able to go past that point that I normally have to stop. And I remember telling myself, come on, Paul, you got it, bud. Keep going, <laughs> keep going. And I, and I finished the lap with the other kids and uh, kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, yes. It was the first time where I felt like I just fit in. So, so because of that surgery, Things did change for me, and I was able to fit in until I, I went to middle school because I, I switched schools again around uh, 12 or 13, and that's when I started to uh, uh, get a different vibe. Um, you know, that age is tough already because mm. these kids have gone to school with each other for several years, so just being a new kid alone in that situation is going to be tough yeah. because they already have their cliques. Yeah. But I was a new kid and I had a little bit of a, a disability. Like I said, I, I, I walk with a little bit of a limp and I hold my right arm differently. 
And, and that, that, that totally changed for me in that situation. I was bullied, teased quite a bit during that time of my life, uh, you know, because they didn't know me. I was, I was different than them. So, you know, they, they lashed out on me. And then on top of all that, um, I was raised Catholic and my mom wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. And um, I must have, and I had to take an assessment test to see where I was at academically. Well, I must have bombed the test because when I met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells us that we're going to put Paul at the lowest level possible. And I don't think he's college material. He doesn't seem like he's going to do much in school. So I had that diagnosis, you know, after one test, I'm bullying and teased in school. It was, it was, it was a, it was a tough time in my life. I remember going in the, going up in my room all the time, crying myself to sleep going, why me? Why do I have to be different? Why can't I just fit in? So yeah, at that age, that was extremely tough for me. The surgery um, to tighten the tendon, was that because you had a, a drop foot situation? The yeah, surgery? I guess when you have cerebral palsy, uh, one, of the, one of the methods, I don't know, if, I, I still think it's still one of the methods now, uh, they, they, they tighten it a little bit, um, you know, because it gives you a little bit more support, you know, because okay. of my cerebral palsy. I don't know if it's a drop foot or what, but I know they had to tighten it because it was just too loose when I ran. And that's why I felt so much pain when I ran and, and why I could only run, you know, 25 to 50 yards at the time. So when did you, what age, we have our schooling systems different in Australia. So what age were you when you went into middle school, 13? 13 years old, yeah. And that's when you got the academic di- academic inverted commas diagnosis yeah yeah okay. I, yeah it was either 13 or 14 because i was uh, the next year was going to go into uh high school okay so, so like 14 all right so what does that mean in terms of did you get because i've had i don't have children but i've got friends that have had kids that have had a similar sort of a testing system and then but their parents are like hang on a minute this doesn't match what my kids like and then they've done a different test and they've scored off the charts for maths or you know something like that was it just was it the type of test or was it that you just weren't academic i i'm the type of person whereas like i don't do things good right away i yeah. have to practice i yeah. have to really study i really have to do different things to to score high so these type of tests sats whatever these type of tests I never score that great on because it takes me time to really learn the material and really step it up. So I never really scored high on tests like that. I really had to, you know, really hunker down to do good in school in, in that sense. How did you get through the bullying? This is, um, I remember midway through my eighth grade, I was just sick of being sad and angry all the time because those were my go-to emotions because yeah. of the environment I was in. And I was sick of feeling that way. So I, I thought to myself, what could I do to distract me from these feelings of, of you know sadness and anger all the time? And I thought, what if I set a goal for myself so I could hone in on the goal and kind of ignore the kind of that negative bullying noise on the outside? Wait, you did this as a 14-year-old? Yeah, I, I set a goal for myself, yeah. Wow, that's pretty um, interesting because I got bullied quite a lot at, at school and I wasn't in that frame of mind. I was in that, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it did suck. <laughs> so I, I just, I didn't know what else to do. So I just tried. So at the time I loved baseball. So mm-hmm. I made a goal for myself to wanting to make my varsity high school baseball team. Yeah. 
So I played fall ball. After that, I played fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall. And I was doing that constantly. Okay. And what was going on, I, I know this now. I, I didn't know this at the time. I was putting out a different energy to these kids. Yeah. I was carrying myself with more confidence. I had my shoulders back, my head up. And as a result of this new energy that I was uh, that I was sending out to these kids, mm. they were sending a different energy back towards me. And mm. Instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school career was much different from my junior high career, all because um, of my energy shift. And 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 also helped too is when I was playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball, I was playing with a lot of the kids that were going to the high school I was going to. So that that also helped as well. So what what age did you start high school in America? Uh, 15, 14 okay. or 15, around that age. Okay. So that's when it all sort of It started to for me. Uh, yeah. In, in that sense. Yeah. Did you get into the team? I did. I was able to make my uh, varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. Uh, Yay! Both, both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, going back to the academics of it or during that time, I kind of had that, that mentality that the principal told me earlier, you know, a few years earlier about me not being college material. Yeah. So all through my high school career, I just did enough to just to get by because I thought to myself, why bother doing anything more than that? Why waste my time? Just do enough to stay eligible to play baseball. And so that's what I did. Um, so my, my GPA wasn't that great. And I remember graduating high school and my, you know, basic, my baseball career was pretty much over. And I, and I thought about, well, they, the goal I accomplished, making that team, somebody with cerebral palsy making a varsity baseball team in high school. At the time when I made that goal for myself, I thought that was never going to happen. I thought that was just a pipe dream. I thought it was just a way to distract me from, from being bullied, but I was able to do it. And um, so I thought to myself, you know, what that principal said to me earlier about not being college material. And I thought, well, if I could do this, why can't I be college material? Mm. So I, I enrolled myself into a, a junior college, which was the only place that would accept me. And um, I had basically a 2.0 if that. I got myself a math tutor, a regular tutor. I went to the math lab. I did everything necessary because like I told you, I, 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 school didn't come easy to, for me. So I had to do different things to, to get those grades up. And uh, as a result of, of that, of all those things I was doing, I was able to get my grades up. And I was able to uh, transfer to a four-year university where I was able to graduate. And I wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see, you're wrong. I, I was college material. But, you should have. No, it's but, a, I think you know, it's I terrible about, for an ed educator to say that to a student. Yeah, I, yeah it is. Um, but I thought about it, though. It might have been the carrot I needed to hit the books as hard as I did. I may not have hit the books as hard as I did if, if I didn't have her voice in my head saying, I'm not college material. And me in my head going, I'll show you. I'm going to go to the math lab. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, so there is that aspect of things, but you also then also did the minimum at high school, yeah, because of because of that statement. Yeah, with the CP, I know it affected your motor skills. Mm -hmm. Was there? Is it essential? Oh, God, I hate using this terminology though. But is it essentially damage to the brain that is caused by the lack of oxygen? Correct. Yeah, it, it is damage to the brain. And, uh, you know, the poor motor skills okay. could affect your speech. And like I said, it, it's, it could cause paralyzation as well. Okay. So did you ever get any testing on your co – a medical testing on your cognitive function? 
in oh, terms yeah. of when it, I was a yeah. child, absolutely. Okay. I, I went through all kinds of experimental stuff, you know, everything, whatever my mom thought would help me, we, we were doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was doing all kinds of, of stuff, but, but the most stuff that really helped was the physical therapy, just okay. working the muscles, constantly working the muscles. So you didn't actually have any issues in terms of your, um, academic ability apart from the, apart from the fact that you need to practice on things. It wasn't like the, yeah, I don't the know. brain damage. I mean, maybe I do. Maybe it did affect me. Maybe if I didn't have CP, maybe school would have came easier for me. Maybe I would be able to pick up math this, or I don't know. Mm. Um, but I, I was able to do it with, you know, hard work. Yeah. So what did uni or college, I don't know what the difference between university and college is over there. What is the difference? Uh, well, college, uh, uh, junior college is basically a community kind of college. Okay. They accept pretty much everybody. Uh-huh. And, you know, you get your grades up and you can transfer to a, a university where that's a, a and those are, the college is normally a two-year deal where a university is a four-year. So you transfer in as like a junior. Okay. So it'd be our equivalent to what we call a TAFE, I would imagine, yeah. over here. Okay. So... You do the junior college. What were you studying? At that time, I was just doing the general ed because I, I was so far behind. I mean, right. I had to take intermedial math, intermedial English. Oh. I was so far down the list. So I didn't really have like a major yet. I had to get all my general education in, in, in order before I even got a major, and which so I did in, in, my, in the university. So instead of doing a, a course, which is what we would do, and then use that as a stepping stone into uni, you were doing a further education equivalent to sort of high school education to get your GPA. Uh, yeah, I'm sure G- I was. was I'm, yeah. sure, sure, I'm sure okay. I was at the time. Was, okay. Yeah, because of, of, of the, my grades and, and my testing, I'm sure I was doing stuff that high school level was doing. Okay. But um, – I guess I, I, I take that back a little bit. I did do a little bit of broadcasting at at, at, at the college. So okay. I was into broadcasting a little bit. Okay. And then, so you did two years at the junior college and then what? Three your years. Next, three years. Mm-hmm. So what's the next step then? Did you get into uni? I did. I, I, okay. did. I, I was able to transfer to a four-year university, Cal State Fullerton in Southern California. Yeah. And, um, and then I got into uh, – at the time, it was radio, television, film, and I, I was able to finish in two years there. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. What's the reality like in a social situation for you outside of school? Did the CP ever affect your social situation once you sort of got into high school and beyond? At, at that point, uh, at that point, not really. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I dated. Uh, I had a lot of friends. I worked at... Uh, Disneyland. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Disneyland, but I worked at Disneyland yeah. through college, so I had a lot of I had a lot of friends. Um, so socially, it didn't really affect me. But I will tell you this though: during that time and and, and much later after that, uh, I really never liked to talk about having cerebral palsy. I would make stuff up, like if I was limping, I would make some something up, like oh, it's an old baseball injury or. Or whatever else, whatever I was thinking at the time, I didn't want to talk about cerebral palsy because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in with the other kids. I did not want to stand out at all. So at that at that time in my life, even if I brought up uh, cerebral palsy, I'd almost be in tears because I just didn't want to talk about it. 
because I thought I thought of it as a weakness, not a strength. So when did you start talking about it and being honest? Well, later. Well, 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 later. So, uh, you know, I had a career in, in mortgage for a while, and then I got into and then I got into coaching. But when I started to really think about getting into coaching, and when taking the leap into coaching, life coaching, I wasn't getting any traction. Nobody wanted to trust. Nobody was trusting me. They were like, "Who is this guy? I, I really don't know who he is." He's saying he was a good coach, but I don't know who he is. Why would I trust him with, with uh, you know, any of my you know life stories and such? And I thought about that. I go, "How am I expecting these people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not going to be vulnerable with them?" Mm. So when I did a lot of soul searching, I started thinking, well, I'm going to really going to have to talk about this. And when I started to talk about this, things started to open up for me because people would come to me and go, you know, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have this and I think you can help me. Can I jump on a call with you and we can talk about it? And it, it built from there and it all stemmed from me getting over that fear of talking about cerebral palsy because now they know where I'm coming from. They go, okay, I get where the, where this guy's coming from. I, I can see the value of using him as a coach because of what he went through as a child and as an adult. What made you leave? Was mortgage broking your first career outside of uni? Yep. How long were you in it for? Oh, uh, gosh. Um, about 15 years. Okay. So that's a decent chunk. Yeah. What made you um, leave it after 15 years? I was really good at it for a long time. Yeah. And then 2008, 2009 hit. Oh, yeah, GFC. And the economy just took a dive. Yeah. And um, I, I, I would get a job in the mortgage industry and the bank would go belly up and I'd have to get another job. And it, it happened two or three times. So I was really losing the luster of the industry because yeah. it was just a tough time. But it was a tough time for everybody, really. Yeah. Um, but I remember the last place I was at, they brought in this motivational speaker to talk to, to us, to uh, motivate us, to, uh, you know, drum up the numbers. And the guy blew me away. The guy was awesome. So I went to him afterward and I go, this is great. You know, and he was, uh, he was, uh, he allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He told me he started as a life coach. I'm like, what the heck is that? And he kind of explained that to me. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's what I want to do. So I started getting my coaching certificate and I started to do this on the side or tried to get it done and um, do it on the side while I was doing new in the mortgage industry. And I remember telling people, well, I want to do this. I want to be a life coach. And I remember the people in the industry were like, whatever, dude, you know, go out and get loans, man. Okay. Life coach, this and that. And then things got really serious where I got my website and licensing and, and I was getting everything done. And the the legal department at the, at the time saw what I was doing. They're like, what are you doing? I, and I explained what I was doing. They're like, this could be a conflict of interest. We need to examine this. And they did. And they came back with a five-page report on what I couldn't couldn't say. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make traction in this, in this business if I follow this to the T. So then I'm like, I'm going to have to make some changes. So I took a year of just doing the mortgage industry and just paying down my debts and doing different things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I then I just quit. And I remember the people in the industry were like, what in the heck are you doing? You just made President's Club. You're a mortgage law officer. What are you doing? I go, well, I want to do this coaching thing. And I'm like, this is that, that's nothing. That's pie in the sky stuff. Don't, you're, you're a mortgage loan officer. And, and I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And they're like, okay, you know, we'll see you. You're going to come back. And I thought I was going to have to come back because I wasn't making any traction. That's what I told you about the cerebral palsy. Mm. What's it? Because you... 
use the title of mindset coach. What's the difference between a mindset coach and a life coach? It's basically the same thing, but I, I concentrate on your mindset. That's, that's what I, that's what I want to concentrate on is because if you, if you want to accomplish anything in your life, whatever it is, if you don't feel good about yourself, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. I, I accomplish things more when I'm happy and upbeat as opposed to angry or sad. So the first things first is we got to love who we are right now in the present time, not who we were in the past, not who we want to be in the future, but right this moment. So we got to do things right now to boost up our confidence in ourselves. And the easiest way to start that is a, is a practice that I do and that I have my clients do is in the morning when you wake up, before you do your morning routine or whatever the heck you do, think about something that you're grateful for or something that's going well in your life. It could be your spouse, it could be your job, it could be your sense of humor. If you had a crummy night the night before, it could be you're alive, right? And I have an opportunity to do something great today. And by doing that, you set the tone for the day. You start to pick out positive things. It could be as simple as something on your phone, getting free coffee. Up the day keeps getting better and better because we can all go the opposite way, right? We could all have that negative thinking where we drive to work, we have a flat tire, and we go, just my luck. I would get a flat tire. Bad things happen to me, so I knew I would get a flat tire. And I would say to that individual, yeah, bad things happen to you because you're looking out for the negative things. Like, you know, when you buy a car and you start driving it around, you, all of a sudden you see that car all over the place because your mind's looking for that car. Mm. It's the same thing with your mindset. It, if you're looking for positive things, positive things are going to happen because your mind's looking for it. If your mind's looking for negative things, your, ne your mind's going to go look at negative things. I think it's an interesting distinction, though, between being – you need to be positive and then having that ability to a knowledge of self-worth to think like that though. Cause a lot of people are in that negative space because they don't think that they're worthy of being happy. Um, do you ever get to a stage where you say, before you start working with someone, go get therapy before you come and see me? Oh yeah. I mean, there's different, there's different stages of everything. Yeah. And I, and I work with a, a group of coaches, not just, not, and, and I know a couple therapists too, but it's interesting. The therapists I know, they want to become coaches as opposed to therapists because they have more reign when they're, when they're life coaching as opposed to therapists. They're, they're more, they're, they're, uh, they can, there's a lot more rules and regulations they have to follow as a therapist than they do as a coach. So they're seeing the advantage of being a coach. There's a lot of therapists that are making a transition, which is kind of interesting. But to answer your question, I work with a lot of different coaches that specialize in different things. So I'm client facing. So what I mean by that is if I, I, I always do a, a consultation, make sure it's a fit. Right. And when they, when they, they come to talk to me, and with all the coaches that I know, sometimes I can go, you know what, you're not a fit for me, but you're a fit for this coach over here because of X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. they, they specialize in, in this. And, um, and what goes around comes around because what that coach will do, he'll interview somebody and go, you know what, I think you should work with Paul. I think Paul matches best with you. So we have a, like a little bit of a team and it's all about you know client facing, meaning we do right for with the client. And then if we do right by the client, good things will happen. So how long have you been a life coach for now? Uh, five years. So the essence of a life coach, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that you take someone that's not achieving their goals and help motivate them to achieve their goals. Is that right? In a nutshell, but I, I for me, 
Mm. I want my my goal is my goal for them is I want them to feel good about themselves. Okay. I don't care really so much about the goal. The goal is secondary. It's about the journey more than anything else. I mean, I told you about you know the baseball goal, you know that that I was able to accomplish it, which is great. But the bigger thing on it was I wasn't bullied anymore. Mm. That was the most important part. It was the journey. It was going through that goal. It was doing the things to get to that goal. As a result of that journey, I wasn't being bullied anymore. And that was that was truly the goal. Not really the the the, the baseball, but it was I didn't want to be bullied anymore and I wasn't because of the energy shift. So it's more about, you know, the, the actual journey you're on because it's all about, you know, all, we're always consumed about what happened in us in the past. We're all consumed about what, what's going to happen in the future. And we, we stop to think about right this moment, the present, which we really only have is the present. You mentioned that you uh, didn't, you actually sounds like you found talking about cerebral palsy as being a, a bit of a trigger that you'd end up in tears. And then you shifted to being the more vulnerable um, side of things and, and sharing that story. How did you shift that mentality to wanting to share and then getting the courage, I suppose, to open up and share it? Well, it wasn't easy and yeah. it, it took me a long time. Or to, I, I did baby steps on it, but what really was the, the thing that, 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 that catapulted me was hearing people's reaction to the story Say, and them telling me, thank you for telling me that story. Thank you for sharing that story with me. That gives me so, so such hope. And so once I, I heard that, and once I realized that, I'm like, you know what, Let, let's just go. Let's not worry about that anymore. Not worry about, I, I, I went through it. You know what I'm, I'm on the other side now. I'm, I'm 40 years old. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to go to, you know, PE with the kids in seventh yeah. grade anymore. I don't have that anymore. So now it's, it's, it's just a story of, of what I went through and, and what, you know, and how to handle those situations. So it's using a, I suppose a, um, a quaint term, it's sharing that authentic, authentic story and authentic self with people. I feel like when you're, you're human, you yeah. know, I, I think you connect more with humans, right? If you, yeah. if you tell people your, your weaknesses, people will open up to you and go, you know what? I had that same exact weakness. I feel the same way. I'm not, I'm not alone. I feel that way. And I think that's more important than standing up there and going, you know what? I'm Superman. Nothing, nothing affects me. It just bounces right off me. That's not human. And nobody can relate to that. <clears throat> yeah. It's a big thing though, sharing that vulnerability with people. Because particularly yeah, I, if you've been like had that bullying experience before, because it's like you're opening yourself up to, um, I suppose ridicule, ridicule, old and, wounds, or or, yeah. or or old wounds. Yeah, you think about things in the past that happened to you, and and it has. I mean, I I think about uh, stories in, in junior high and and stuff, situations that went that were that weren't very pleasant. Um, you know, talking about it, but um, I I learn now though uh, that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness, and I feel like if you can be vulnerable with people, you build such a connection. That you wouldn't have if you didn't if you didn't open up. Do you ever go back? To, have you gone back to any of your high school or junior school reunions and sort of seen any of these people that were not so pleasant to you? Well, um, you know, 
uh, high school, I had a pretty good experience and, yeah. and I'm still friends with a lot of the people from high school. Uh, junior high, no. I, I can tell you that uh, I do not have one relationship with anybody from, from junior high. And, you know, uh, I don't live too far from where I went to school in junior high. And I, and I have seen people in the, in, the, in the past, you know, as adults. And, um, you know, I was pleasant, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm forgive, I'm, will forgive it, but I, you know, I'm, you know, obviously don't choose to have friends like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to bring them into your life now. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised you're pleasant to them. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's been so, so long after and, you know, and I, you know, and I think about this. They probably don't even realize. Probably not, but I would have just avoided yeah. them. Yeah. Avoided well, that I mean, interaction. Yeah. I just, it's it just, what it you is. know, at this point, just forgive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so where, so what's your biggest success that you've had in terms of the life, the life coaching? Where are you sort of taking it? You mentioned that you're wanting to be more mindset focused and that you are more mindset focused. Um, what is it that you look for in a client that comes to you? I look for a client that that's patient, mm. that's willing to think outside the box and willing to be their true self. Those are the things I look for because, um, you know, you, you talk with people and if they feel like, you know, oh, I know best this is going to be this way. I know it's going to be the, then it's not going to really work. You know what? Because you're going to want to do it your way the whole time. And, and that's fine. And, and it just won't work. So it's got to be, got to be a person that has a little bit more of an open mind that's saying, you know what, having some, um, uh, being a little bit of, being a little humble and saying, you know what, it hasn't really worked for me right now. Why don't I try uh, a different approach? Because what I'm doing isn't working. So if I'm doing it a different way, maybe that will work. Mm. It's interesting that you said patience. Why patience? I understand things that it's a process and you've got to sort of work through certain steps to achieve things. It doesn't happen overnight. But I would have thought that the more impatient they are, the more, the faster it's going to happen for them. No, uh, patience is, is the best because those are the people that understand, like you just said, that it's not going to happen overnight and they're not going to get discouraged right away when things don't change right away for them, because it's, it's a, like you said, it's a process. Mm. It's not going to change overnight. So they need that. They need to have that patience and that grit to understand that they're going to have to put in the work. It's a shame that you just don't have a magic wand. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, it's funny that you say that is that's one of the things I say to them because I, I go, I don't have a magic wand. I can't just wave it in front of your face and make you better. You know, you have to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> is your mom still around now? Uh, she is, yes. Oh, good. So have you ever sort of sat down with her and, and talked with her about how she felt in regards to that diagnosis and what motivated her to sort of disregard that doctor's opinion? I, I have. And, you know, it's funny that she says this. Um she said that before she had me, she felt like she wasn't very confident. She wasn't a very confident person. 
And I've talked to other mothers about that. And they, they, I guess they can relate to her a little bit. And they said, but she goes, once, once you were born, I don't know what, what it was, but I had this motherly confidence that I was going to do whatever it took to do, do whatever I could to make you make sure that I did everything possible to make sure that you walked. So I don't know what that was, but there was some sort of energy that came of, came of her when she became a mother and she, in her head, she wasn't going to stop until I was going to be able to walk. I think that that can be carried through and that's an important lesson for anybody in life, isn't it? Don't take the first no and remove obstacles rather than just accept them. Yeah. When you first walked at the age of three, did you ever ask her what that felt like? Was that at home? Was it in a clinic environment? Like what was that? I was at home. Mm -hmm. I was at home. I think I was walked, you know, I think I walked to my dad or something like that. Um, obviously it was very, it, it, for me, it wasn't emotional. I really wasn't all, you know, three, You're three but, yeah. <laughs> uh, at, for, for my mom. Yeah. It was very emotional, yeah. a very emotional moment for her. Did it, it probably spurred her on to do more, I suppose. Oh yeah. I mean, I wasn't out of the woods yeah. uh, by any means. I mean, I, I, for the first 10 years of my life, I was doing physical therapy. So Absolutely. And, and any, any, any new treatment that, that came about that she read about, she was all about, you know, reading up on different things. Um, you know, she was trying it, you know, mm. to make sure that I had the best, the, the best advantages possible. Do you still do any physical therapy now? I, I don't, uh, well, I mean, I go, I, I exercise, I exercise daily. So yeah, I yeah. guess, yeah, but it's not, and now it's kind of a full body thing, not just my right side. Obviously I still concentrate on my right side uh because you know i need to but um yeah it's it's nothing in particular to the cp does is the brain able to rewire and regrow the is it synapses or whatever it is in terms of helping with that motor function yeah obviously it, the more you use it the more you do different activities it does strengthen it yeah. does you know the power of the human body is incredible. So yeah, there is some repair um, that, that you can do. And, mm. and, and it's obvious because, I mean, how, how do I get a diagnosis of not being able to walk if I'm able to walk? So obviously there is a little bit of being able to repair. Um, so, but it, it, I'm just thankful for a great mom that it all came together for me. Yeah. She sounds like a badass. I love her. <laughs> um, did you give her a nice bit? What did you do for Mother's Day for her? Uh, I, we, we, I took her to lunch. We, I took her to lunch and, uh, and she loves books. So, so I got her a book and, uh, we, we spent the, we spent the day together. So it was, nice. it was pretty good. I, I talked to my mom, uh, quite a bit anyway. Um, mm. I, I still have a strong relationship with her. So, um, I talked to her weekly anyway. So, um, we talk and, and she was instrumental, uh, for me to, to go after being a coach mm. and going after it because I, I mean, I was getting a lot of negative feedback from a lot of other people, like what the heck is this coaching business about? Mm. And, and, uh, you know, she asked me some questions about it and, and she saw the passion I had for it. And she's like, you got to do it then. How do you not get drawn into all the naysayers when you've got everybody around you, except for your mum? saying, I don't know if you're in a relationship at this time, but sort of saying, um, what are you doing? You're a mortgage broker. Why are you moving out of this this area? You sound like you were quite quite a successful broker as well. How do you not listen to those external voices? 
Well, it's extremely hard not to. I mean, and for, for an extent, you, you kind of do. Yeah. Um, but I really wanted it. I wanted it so bad that I didn't care about failing. I think that's the thing. I think if, if, you, if you feel like you want it and you fail, but you gave it your all, I can live with that. I can live with that. I talked to so many people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they talked to me more about their regret than anything else. Oh, I had an opportunity to, to go into that stock or into that business. I didn't do it. I regret that. I should have done it. And I, I, didn't, I, didn't want, I don't want to live with regret. I wanted to go after it. And if I failed at it, I can hold my head up high and say, you know what? I gave it a go. How do you channel that I don't want to live with regret to the fear of failure and what everyone else is going to be speaking or saying around you. I roll the tape forward. I roll the tape forward. And what I mean by that is I, I put myself in that situation. If I fail, if I fail, what is the worst thing that happens at that point? Right. And I think to myself, well, if I fail, well, then I could just go back to the mortgage industry and all, oh, well, I mean, I, I what is the, there? There really wasn't that many bad things that were going to happen to me if I failed. Oh yeah, maybe a few people would tease me and say, oh, "Okay, life coach, we told you." But that that lasted day, right? Mm. I mean, after that, you know, they got their chops in. But you know, life goes on, and they they have other things to worry about than whether I was a life coach or not. So, um, in the sense of the things, if you look at it, if you look at the actual failure you realize it wasn't that bad. So it's about assessing worst case scenario. Yeah, what really it is. I mean, we, 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 we think about failure as like as some kind of dream where you fail and there's like 30 million people pointing and laughing at you, which is not going to be reality. It really is not. Mm. I mean, it's like going to the gym. You know, you think that like, if you haven't been to the gym in a while and you go to the gym for the first time, you think, oh, everybody's looking at me. Yeah. Oh, they're looking at me because I'm heavy. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not in shape. But in reality, they're not even looking at you. They're looking at themselves. They're worried about themselves. They're, they're all insecure about it. They're like, oh, you know what? I, I missed the gym yesterday. You know, I, I don't look good. You know, this and that. So we have this narrative that we, we tell ourselves that's really not true. Is that something that you work with actively in terms of your clients putting themselves in that worst case scenario so then they understand what that failure would look like and it dissipates that anxiety around it? Daily. I mean, we concentrate on limited beliefs pretty much every single call. Every single call we, we, th we talk about limited beliefs and breaking those limited beliefs mm. because we tell our – a lot of times we'll say to ourselves – Things that we wouldn't even say to our worst enemies, but we say to ourselves on a daily basis. Why is that okay? If you're mm. not going to say it to that person, why is it okay to say it to yourself? Because I would say that 98% of the stuff that you say that it's negative isn't even true. It's just your thoughts. And we need to be aware of what we're saying to ourselves. And once we're aware of the, the narrative that we're saying to ourselves, then we can break the pattern. And that, that starts with you know, the gratitude. So that's your for, foremost strategy in regards to breaking that negative story cycle, the it gratitude. Is, it's worrying about the present, concentrating okay. on the now, right this moment. It, it, it's, it's so important that we do that in, mm. in, any, in, in any walk of life is worry about the present. I get it. We have bills. We need to pay the bills and we need to have savings. I understand that. But we worry about things that 
that, you know, that 95% of the time it's not even going to come true, but we worry about it on a constant basis. And, and, and that just puts us in such a negative state and we need to stop that. What is the common theme that you find with all of your clients? Is it that a fear of failure? Um, that or they're you know the most uh, it's mostly the well that and the imposter syndrome that they're they're not good enough they're not good enough to, to climb the co- uh, corporate ladder they're not good enough to start their own business they're not they're not good enough to travel around the world or whatever it is it's that imposter syndrome that they that we we all suffer from mm. and is it a similar sort of situation because I wouldn't have thought that the gratitude would have overcome that the imposter syndrome it does. Does it? it absolutely does. Oh yeah, because we're, we're we're because in the imposter syndrome again, it's our negative thought pattern. We're talking negative to ourselves again and again and again. If you get into the gratitude piece, you start to you start to gravitate to positive things, positive thinking. So it quiets down that mind. It quiets down that that person in the back of your mind saying all this negative stuff. Because you're you're focusing in on positive affirmations, positive things, positive things that are going on in your life right now. So is that something that if someone doesn't do life coaching and mindset coaching, is that something that somebody could just automatically do themselves? Yeah, you could absolutely. Everybody yeah. can do it. Every yeah. every single person can do it. I, I just help them, I just help people be accountable to it. Yeah. And motivate them when and when they need it. And one of the biggest compliments I got from one of my clients was, um, "I can't wait for our phone call. I can't wait because after that phone call, I feel so good and I feel like I could take on the world." And that to me feels so good. How do people find you for your services? Uh, the easiest way is through my website. It's called a call to action coach, mm-hmm. and I have a, a guide, a free guide that you can get on the the website on how you're able to rewrite your life. Uh, rewrite your excuse me how you rewrite your story and take control of your life mm-hmm. it talks about how i was able to do it, it talks about how you're going to be able to do it and how to maximize your day and you can you know, write on my website called the action.coach and i also started a facebook group called rewrite your story mm-hmm. where people just come on and tell their stories and we're there to inspire and to lift up with no judgment it's a just nice community where we just help each other up and then we have a meetup once a month where we just get together, we talk about a topic, and we just lift each other up. Like, oh, if, you know, if somebody's having a problem with this, another person will say, oh, you know what, I had that problem two two months ago, and this is what I did to go to overcome it. So, as a community, we help each other. And is that that meetup? Is that virtual or is that in person? It's vir- it's virtual because we're all over the place. Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was like. Are you limiting yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that's awesome. If you send those through to me, I'll put them in the show notes for everyone to to be able to access. Is there anybody yeah. that you, apart from um, the impatient people, is there anybody that you avoid? So need not apply <laughs> if you are. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I, I I feel like in this industry, if, if you don't want to be coached, you're not going to come talk to me. You really aren't. You're really yeah. not going to reach out to me for help, right? Because you're you're going to be in the mindset that I don't need you. I can do it yourself, and that's fine. Mm. Um, so you know, you know. So the people that that reach out to me, most of the time, 
they they they're willing to you know make the changes and willing to to talk with me. Uh, I you know I found early in my career I even forced people on a phone call and it really didn't work right because I they they were just appeasing me. Okay, I'll get on a phone call with you, but they really didn't want to be on the phone call. And now I I do it where they want to be on the phone call with me. So you know it's a it's more of a positive result either way. You know even if they don't sign up with me, at least we have a nice conversation and mm. it, and it was positive. And I'm not, I'm not on the phone the whole time telling them why coaching is good. I don't do that anymore because if they don't feel it's good, then I'm not going to be able to convince them of that. That they can, you know, find other alternatives to help them. Mm. I don't know if that answered your question. I'm sorry. Well, it does. It just means that everybody's yeah. like, you're open to everybody. Yeah. Except for the impatient people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Paul. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 